0: You're listening to a Rock Candy Podcast.
1: Hi, I'm Peter Santoscano I host Bubble and Squeak here on the Rock Candy Network. I tell personal revealing stories. She whispered, did you just masturbate? Because I felt a terrible presence of evil enter the... I make prank phone calls to the past. Heimbach General star, Eliza, Heimbach speaking. How speaking now, man. And to the future. <clears throat> because my boyfriend and I are just not having enough sex. Always a problem with the sex. You just have to listen to it. It's too hard to describe. Check out Bubble and Squeak wherever you listen to podcasts. This is Sacred Tension, the podcast about the discipline of asking questions. My name is Stephen Long, and we are here on the Rock Candy Podcast Network. For more shows like this one, go to rockcandyrecordings.com. All right. Well, welcome back to the stripped-down, unedited coronavirus series, Sacred Tension. Uh, So I'm living in kind of this perpetual brain fog right now. I feel like just this brain fog has descended upon all of civilization, and (laughs) we're all just not thinking very clearly and making really stupid mistakes and tiring really easily. So uh, I do not have the energy for the same level of editing and work and labor that these shows usually require, but I still want to bring you regular content Uh, to give you some company during this time. A lot of us are feeling uncertain. A lot of us are really struggling emotionally, financially. A lot of us are feeling lonely, shut up in our homes. And so I think that it is on on us creators to provide you some uh, refreshment and some company and kindness. So that's what we're going to do. But... It's going to be unedited. So if you hear my cat's yowling in the background, <clears throat> if uh Greg accidentally confesses to being a serial killer on air, um, none of it is being edited out. Uh so <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, Greg. It is it's it's not going to be edited out. Um, so what you say, you better be careful because right. I am I am not going to edit this show at all, unless you absolutely insist. All right, so <laughs> <laughs> with that said, um, I've been doing kind of these long, uh, chill hangout episodes with friends uh, just to provide some company uh, for everyone who's struggling right now and who might feel a bit lonely. And first, before we get on with the conversation, I have to thank my patrons. So my patrons are... The lifeblood of the show and the podcast, or uh, the show and the blog, rather. And they um, help ensure the long life of my work. And also, if you enjoy all the other stuff that I'm doing with Rock Candy Recordings, if you like Bubble and Squeak, Common Creatives, Bible Bash, uh, Eleventy Life, if you like our live events, if you saw us at Wild Goose last year, Um, and and liked our appearance there if you like all the other stuff that I'm involved in donating to my Patreon really helps all of it and it helps keep my my, uh, cat children fed and it pays the bills so it also goes to very kind of basic stuff as well so I need to thank my latest patrons who have made this show possible and that is Kelly, Kisa, Christopher, Lady Lilith Jen, Mal, Lisa, Willer Clowns, Kitty, and Vaughn. Thank you all so much. You're so amazing. Also, with that said, um, I'm currently at 57 patrons. <clears throat> and if you have a little bit of cash to spare, even if it's just one dollar a month, uh, one dollar gets you access to all of the benefits because I want you to be able to support multiple artists that you love. Um, so if you have multiple small indie artists and creators you enjoy, Support as many of them as you can. So I keep costs low so that you can support others. So just $1 will get you access to all of the benefits. Help me break 100 patrons. I'm currently at 57. It would be so awesome if you were to help me get to 100 patrons. Maybe I'll do something special when I hit 100. Um, And also, right now is really hard for everyone financially. So if you aren't able to, there is absolutely no pressure. Um... And please take care of yourself first and foremost. I will continue to produce a a blog a week uh, when I'm able to, and the podcast as often as I can for free. And when all of this blows over, and if you and if you find yourself in a f- financially stable position, and you still want to give, uh, go for it. But no pressure if you find yourself financially struggling right now. I have my sugar daddy to take care of me, so everything's okay. All right. Well, <laughs> with all of that out of the way, I am so happy to welcome Greg, a.k.a. Penemu, back to the show, my dear friend. Hello, Greg. Thank you for having me on. It's so great to see you. It's been a while since, since we, we text a lot, but it's been, it's been so long since I've actually like laid my eyes on your beautiful, immaculate, gorgeous face. Um, it's been how, a while. I've,
0: I've, I've, I live in a completely different state now than I did when we last did one of these chats, I think.
1: Yeah, a lot has changed. You've moved and there's a fucking apocalypse going on right now. Yeah. The, the goddamn pandemic. <clears throat> so how are you doing? How are you managing through all of this?
0: I'm doing i'm doing pretty well it's uh it's funny because the move actually coincided so i moved from Massachusetts uh down to Tucson arizona here um and it was like the end of March beginning of April so it was exactly when things were really starting to get crazy and uh, it was a move that i had planned you know maybe a month prior uh, but as March you know was progressing and we started seeing more and more questions about things being locked down and everything. And, uh, you know, I had people and in fact, Lucien was just like, you think you're still going to be allowed to go? I don't, You may have to stay in Salem. It might not be possible. I was like, I'm going. I'm going to do it no matter what. They can't stop me. This is America. And I was like. I was like <laughs> what are they gonna do? Like, like stand in the middle of the road at the border of Massachusetts and not let me out of the state? And um, then good. I thought, shit. What if they do that? Like, I mean, fuck. Uh, but it turns out that uh, the I did get out uh, prior to uh, you know anything like that. And uh, and who would have guessed? Like, it was actually quite a nice drive from Massachusetts to Arizona during that time because you know it's not like there was a lot of people on the roads. And um, <laughs> so, but it was, but arriving here was very weird because, well, actually I'll be honest for the first uh, couple weeks I was, my life was so discombobulated from moving in, you know and like having this house now with a lot more space than where I was kind of crashing up in Massachusetts. And so getting furniture, getting settled, my life was so taken up by the act of moving that I didn't really have, you know, I I didn't notice personally, I knew it was going on obviously, but I wasn't personally that disrupted by the lockdown or anything. Um, And so it wasn't until maybe week two or so, when all of a sudden I start being like, all right, I moved in, I need to get a routine, I need to, you know, develop a normal life here. When that's when it became apparent that, you know, developing a normal life was not going to be the normal developing a normal life and um and so and so yeah it was it was interesting to me that I was because of the way I was dealing with like I have to find you know where to hang paintings on the wall and all of that just moving in stuff it wasn't until after that it settled that it kind of you know oh you know now I really am facing the fact that I'm trying to get into a normal work routine and um and that normally involves going to the gym. And so I have to, you know, work out and I'm working out from home. Um, or normally it involves just going out and doing normal things like shopping and stuff where it isn't like, you know, suiting up for an expedition in order to go Jesus to the grocery Christ, store.
1: Yes. It, it, like you, you have to put on like a full fucking hazmat suit just to go to the grocery store. <laughs> yeah and so and so that it was really, yeah, it was like middle of
0: April that it suddenly started hitting me, and I was, you know, I was a little bit I was having a, a tough time, and um, I talked to a couple of of friends and and there were really two things that uh helped me out a lot. Um, one of them was a friend of mine who was who was, well, it was funny because I was talking a little bit about how I was kind of upset about my workouts and uh, how I felt like I was was so easily distracted at home. You know, I've got the little resistance bands and I've got a TRX straps and all the I've got the things, Mm -hmm. But, um, but working out, like I had everything because I was sort of still getting moved in, I had stuff sort of all piled. I was kind of living my life in the living room. And so the TV was there, the computer was there, everything was right there. And I was really easily distracted. And so you know, I would like do ten minutes of a workout, and then I would get distracted by something, and then I would be like, "Oh, and I have to add that onto the end." And (laughs) at the end, ended, I ended up having like a four hour workout, but not feeling like I really worked out because of all of the things. Yeah, and uh, and it was a friend of mine who said, "You know, he's like, Greg, come on, if anybody." How would you explain this to someone? If someone came to you with this problem, what advice would you give them, Greg? I can't believe that you of all people would not be able to solve this problem. <laughs> that was the... <laughs> 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 And it was it was hilarious because like that little pep talk or repudiation or whatever that was, like that worked because suddenly I was like, Good, what would I say to someone? who came to me with this problem that I'm having. And I would be like, well, I know what advice I would give that person. I would be like, you need to sort of section it off and make it like going to the gym, going to the gym, um, even though you're not leaving the place. And so I was like, okay. So I moved all of my workout stuff into its own separate room. And now in the mornings, I pass through the doorway to that room and I'm like, I'm going to the gym. I'm not gonna do anything in much the same way that I can't do anything other than be at the gym or the gym until I, you know, leave that room. And it just made a huge difference.
1: It's incredible. The difference, little, tiny, like psychological manipulations like that make, it makes such a huge difference.
0: Yeah. Mindset things. It's yeah. Yeah. And even because it's funny, because, you know, if, if you consider yourself a smart together person, you're like, oh, that's just tricking myself. I don't need that. But like, no, no, take the time to do it. And it just, that, that was one thing that really changed my world. Is now like me, I walk through that doorway, like I'm going to the gym now.
1: and um, <laughs>
0: That's great. And it, it worked. The other thing was, um, was just, I heard from a few different people the the comment that uh, it's like what you said actually in the intro you're talking about how there's sort of a fog over everything and you mentioned to me before that um that you know there's kind of almost a chronic feeling of exhaustion
1: yeah uh, because of the added fatigue and it's just a sort of added background
0: stress um of just the world right now yep and uh and I was, I was talking to someone about feeling know, sort of guilty or feeling like, oh, I'm off my game because I'm not getting as much done as I would like to. And another one of my wise ass friends, by the way, these are the sorts of people I hear. He was like, well, Greg, have you considered the possibility that one of the factors
1: is you're living through a fucking pandemic right now? <laughs> uh, you know, yes, exactly. And I, I have come to the realization and I am never the person to ever say this but I've I've just found myself telling myself this but also my colleagues at Rock Candy Recordings um now is the time to be okay with mediocrity it really is it really is and I am not the person to ever say that but it's like if for me if the choice is between releasing a not releasing a show and doing an unpolished show then i'll just do the unpolished show that's better Mm -hmm. like now is the now is the time to be okay with letting some standards slip if you are just unable to have the margin right now so you know my my schedule like i've i've you know i'm I've, uh, not booked as many shows close together. Now I'm, I'm being a bit easier on myself with work than I normally would. Um, and I'm just telling myself now is the time to do it because, and, and I feel like I'm actually, I'm going to be easy on it, but I feel like Maybe in the coming weeks, depending on how I feel, I might start to put on just a little bit more pressure, just a bit more standards, maybe rise up just a bit above mediocrity and see see how it goes. But for now, I am 100% comfortable with mediocrity. I think a
0: lot of people, um, you know, there's a lot of talk, especially on social media, about uh, these like, oh... I'm going to do all this stuff now that, you know, if we can't go anywhere, we're going to get all this done. There was a lot of this pressure, you know, um, the way people were talking on like fucking Twitter or whatever. And um, we're going to get all those
1: books done. We're going to read war and peace. Finally, we're going to get that masters. We're (laughs) Ah, going to finish. ah. I'm going to finish that doctorate. Finally. Yeah, exactly
0: and and I think, and I think you know for for people who have done that, that's awesome. For people who want to do that, that's awesome. But I think that it's also okay to admit to yourself that you know it's completely legitimate if you have if you have this feeling of exhaustion, like we, we as a, as a culture, as a world, right now, are going through something unprecedented in our, you know, yes. sort of collective memory span. Yes. And so, you know, giving yourself a little bit of permission to uh, to play just Animal being Crossing, freaked out and being and 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 chill out. Yeah, it's, play video games for important. six
1: hours at a time. No, don't do that. That can make you feel like trash. But two hours at a time is fine. Or, I'm not judging, maybe six hours is fine. Uh, just, you know, just pay off your mortgage to Tom Nook and Animal Crossing day after day after day after day. Um, yeah, exactly. I And I, I had that exact same weird experience where at the beginning of this, I was like, okay, I'm going to be so productive and get so much work done. And I found that I was... I, it was like my inner space, my inner mental household, or or inner space, had become smaller. Is the way it felt, and so it's like if I if previously you know before the pandemic, if I lived in a mansion internally, and now I live in a single bedroom house. And it it felt like I just had less space cognitively to do stuff. So I, and actually you were the one who told me to do this, um, because, you know, the first month was really fucking miserable and hard for me because I manage a grocery store and I don't have to get into all of that, but, um, so I am, I am one of those essential workers who I will say, I, I will just mention, for the first time in six years, everyone, well, not everyone, but a lot of people are now, are now like, thank you so much. You're a hero, like these customers coming through and, and just looking at us very earnestly and being like, thank you so much. You are a hero. You're on the front lines. Part of me really appreciates it. The other part of me is like, well, I've known that civilization would fucking collapse without people like me. <laughs> All this time, like I've known that like what would you what, what would you do without people like me? Would you actually go forage for your uh, paleo food? Would you actually go gather berries and twigs to to get your food if people like me didn't sell it to you? Like I've known that civilization would crash overnight if there weren't grocery store workers and grocery managers. (laughs) So on the one hand, I really, really appreciate the response because it used to be that people would be like, what's someone like you working in a place like this all the time, all the fucking time. Um, feeling people feeling kind of weirdly, personally offended that someone as well-spoken and educated as me was managing a grocery store. Um, and now there's been this complete turnaround of people thanking, <laughs> thanking me for my work. And I, I do genuinely appreciate it. Um, I would also like to point out that this is the way it's always fucking been. Essential workers have always been essential. That never... S- They aren't suddenly essential. Anyway, this is a rant. I need to get off of this rant and get back to the topic. So I am a grocery store cashier, and uh, I I manage a grocery store, and um, it was hellacious. And we actually talked on the phone just immediately after kind of the, the hell broke loose. And... I was just feeling physically destroyed (laughs) Um, and emotionally destroyed. And for whatever reason, I was finding myself unable to get off of social media and social media was just like amping me up and stressing me out even more. And the news was stressing me out. And so you're like, okay, just every night from 10 till bedtime, put your phone away and just disconnect. And I've actually and I've been doing that. And so I've been reading every night before bed and it's actually been really 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 great. And so that is one way that I've been staying sane and healthy. Another way I've been staying sane and healthy is uh I I just listened to David Pakman for my news where he, every weekday he has um, a podcast and David Pakman is like, so even keel and chill and he could deliver, you know, he could be the messenger of like aliens are coming to the planet to destroy us. But because his delivery is so chill, I would be like, okay, we got this. Everything's fine, <laughs> and so it's like he's able to deliver this terrible news in such a level-headed way. So when I feel the need to ingest news, like to fig to hear what's happening outside of the outside of my faggot ranch here on a mountain outside of Pisgah National Forest, when. <laughs> I l- just listen to him and I don't listen to anything else. And that's how I get my news. And that's also been very helpful. Yeah, so.
0: David's one of my favorite uh, people. Um, I have known him for years and years now. And uh, and I've always really enjoyed the thoughtfulness that he brings to uh, his show and any of the interviews he's Done and any of the topics that he sort of addresses. Agreed, uh, yeah. He spends, a, he spends a lot of effort in uh, sort of, you know, he definitely he definitely is very interested in making sure that he uh, presents information in a way that can clarify things for people and doesn't like fall into a trap of just, you know, hyping up whatever. I mean, he very clearly has particular side He's very le- left, you know, very progressive. Yes. But um, he is, wants to be very responsible about, uh, about being thoughtful and about sort of like really picking apart, especially when there are sort of disputes on the left about, yes. uh, you know, different takes on different issues. And so, uh, yeah, no, I've, I've always been a, a big fan of his style ever, ever since. And I, I've, uh, so he's in, you know, he's in the Boston area.
1: Yes, I did know that.
0: Yeah, um, and I actually, although I, the first time I met him uh, was actually when he was like even long before that it was when he was in New York City for a while, um, and uh, but I've I've known him since gosh, since prior to I'm trying to think, like since prior to the phase when I was running this little political satire website. Um, and that's what that was. So it was before twenty thirteen, twenty twelve. So I've mm-hmm. known him for a good long time now.
1: Great. That's awesome. Yeah, and and he I do really love the way he is on the left and he is also often critical of the left. Um or critical of of parts of the left. And never in a malicious way, never in a Cynical way, but just in a very sincere, balanced way. And I appreciate that because I actually found that a lot of the leftist media that I consumed prior to the pandemic actually started to not be great for me mentally. And I don't know what it was. Like, I. How so? In what way? Well, so I'm a big. I'm a I'm a big dirtbag leftist and I try not yes. to yes and I and I try I I try to be more even keel on my show and on my blog and I you know I try to I guess try to emulate David Pacman more but personally and when and the media that I consume and very much the way I interact with other leftist friends is i am very chapo <laughs> i'm very chapo trap house i am i'm very like g- queer filth leftist and um and aggressive i know that aggressive is not a word that a lot of people would associate with me but that is the me that is the leftist media that i like for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. I really love yeah. it. And yes. so Choppo Trap House, Michael Brooks, Zero Books, Vosh who's been on this show and he's great. I love Vosh. And um several several other creators. Matt Taibbi who's you know the great journalist. Um he's he's a fantastic leftist journalist. He has a show called Useful Idiots, The Hill, Rising on the Hill. Yeah. Um, and they're great uh, sometimes, a lot of the time. But um, I just started to find the... Especially after Bernie dropping out, the left has become... I'm... Okay, and, and let me preface this by saying I'm a stupid leftist. I'm not a smart leftist. I'm a leftist who... <laughs> I Politics is a very side gig for me and I I know what I think but I'm not very good at articulating why or why it's just not my forte and I know that about myself so I identify as a stupid leftist Um, but I found a lot of the people on the left especially after Bernie dropped out it became so vicious, and ugly, and cynical, and, and doomer, and I'm, and I am so prone to being a doomer anyways, like, I'm so prone to just looking at, you know, Christian nationalism in America, and climate change, and the far right, and Donald Trump, And how defeated the left has been over and over and over again, um, on a lot of issues, not all issues, but on a lot of issues, especially lately, and just want to give up and just want to get like, just give up in despair and be like, fuck it. There's no way. And just dissolve into cynicism. And I found that this leftist media was actually starting to really push me in that direction for whatever reason. Um, And this combination of, of, of aggressive cynic, aggressiveness with cynicism. And I just didn't like the person I was becoming, I guess. I, I didn't like the thought patterns that I was finding myself have. Like I still need hope. I, I don't want to cast everyone as evil. I don't, you know, I, I don't like that. And, and I've been very, very upset. I've been very alarmed by the leftists who are Bernie and Busters, and um, and like, trust me, I get it. I think that um, Biden is a geriatric, senile, rapist, warlord, and Biden versus Trump is not the geriatric Thunderdome, the Grandpa Thunderdome. I wanted. And for 2020, like, but um, I'm going to vote for Biden and I think everyone should vote for Biden because I don't think he I don't think he is the existential threat to humanity <laughs> that Trump is. But the left is very divided right now over that. And Noam Chomsky came out, you know, like the Gandalf. The fucking Gandalf yeah. of the left, like yeah. the the old man on the mountain, came down from his cave and said, "You need to." <laughs> I love that description so much. You, do. Like, yes, you know, he he came down from his mountain and was like, "You need, you all need to vote for Biden." I don't know what the actual quote was, but you all need yeah. to vote for Biden. And then people on the left started saying. Oh, he's sold out. Chomsky has sold out, and I'm like, Chomsky is literally like five million years old, and he is consistent. <laughs> <laughs> he has he has consistently been on the left. He is he is one of the modern architects of yeah. the modern left. How the fuck does Chomsky sell out? Yeah. Like no, you, I, you I, idiots. I, I think-
0: I remember I remember when that happened and I, I do think that the reflex that some people had to just knee-jerk say the chumps of soda it, it did it did reflect a certain shallowness of thinking. I mean it was a knee-jerk reaction. It was what they it was what those people would have said, regardless of who said it, which showed an incredible lack of knowledge of context or or yes. anything. Um and yeah, I actually even I remember I was. I I was so entertained by the fact that all of the tweets that I was seeing about Noam Chomsky would refer to him as like Noam Chomsky himself or Noam fucking Chomsky or you know, it was always and I I actually I actually made I don't know if you saw it. but I saw it. I made a Twitter poll I was like, all right, which of these titles is more superlative when you have so-and-so, you know Mm. himself or you know, first name, fucking last name. Like, I just want to know, you know, which one should, which should we consider, like, the real winner in this it's kind like, of uh? It's like
1: Contra-fucking-points. <laughs> That's right, exactly. They, he's, so Noam Chomsky has joined the first-name-fucking-last-name Hall of Fame for the left. Right. You know, there's it's Contra... A it's a certain level. Yes, Natalie-fucking-win, a.k.a. Contra-fucking-points, <laughs> and then... um. Now, Noam fucking Chomsky. No, I, I've just been so, I don't know, so demoralized. Because I had, you know, there was this moment. Okay, so actually, there there was this moment. Or, and I have not talked about this yet. So, I bring this up, fully acknowledging, Penemu, that you are not my therapist. And you are <laughs> under no obligation to, to act like one. <laughs> but, um, there was this period when during the first primary where things were looking really fucking good for bernie and and i just prematurely was like we've got this you know no one gives a fuck about biden he hasn't done he has he's hardly done any campaigning he's you know he's clearly he's clearly on the decline and whoever's forcing him to, to campaign should be convicted of elder abuse because the the man needs to be in a nursing home and, or, you know, home with his family, enjoying his final years. Like no one, no one cares about Biden. Things are looking really good for Bernie. And I allowed myself to feel a bit of hope, you know, and I allowed myself kind of the—I think what a lot of leftists were feeling, actually. Like this—things felt possible for once <laughs> because Bernie had this amazing turnout in the first primaries. um. And, and then it all went to fucking hell. And South Carolina—the South Carolina primaries happened— or, or leading up to the primaries, things were looking really good for Bernie. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, and yeah, th- leading up to the primaries, things were looking really good for Bernie. And it's like I had, I allowed myself to feel a little bit of hope. And, uh, and then South Carolina happened. And, you know, everyone um, and a lot of Democrats came out for Biden. And Bernie just lost. He just didn't have the votes. He just... He just lost the votes. He could not win them. And uh, so that happened. That was super fucking demoralizing. And then COVID19 hit. And so I feel like I feel like I'm on this devastating. <laughs> I don't know. like I've I went on this devastating downward spiral after this brief moment of uplift of being like oh my god we got we have a chance bernie could win bernie could be the nominee and well,
0: that having hope was obviously your first mistake
1: having hope was obviously my first mistake <laughs> clearly <laughs> i should be a doomer clearly <laughs> i should no and i don't regret having hope like i i'm not i don't regret hoping that bernie could win because i think things were actually all the evidence i had suggested that he had a chance mm-hmm. however <laughs> um so then biden won all, all most of the primaries and then bernie dropped out in the midst of coronavirus and then the coronavirus fucking hit and now we're in like we're like on our way to like mad max And you know, I have a lot of bondage gear in my closet right now that's not being used. And I've talked to my well, and I've talked to my co-manager about how you know we should just start coming to work in like Mad Max bondage gear. Um, you know, it's just sitting there; it's not being put to any use. We might as well. Um,
0: I mean, honestly, there's never a wrong time to go to work in Mad Max bondage gear.
1: I agree with that. To quote Dave Rubin, I, I think I agree with that.
0: I agree with that. Um, I think that. Uh, no, I mean, I, 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 I don't. I didn't follow the same emotional journey that you did because I was never a full-throated Bernie supporter. I was more leaning towards uh, Warren for a while, and um, and so I just, you know, I kind of was. I was one of those that very early on was leaning against. Uh, just like, oh, I was like, oh, do we really need just another old white guy? Like, can't we do better than 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 that? And so I was never a full-throated, not that there's yeah. anything wrong with Bernie, like I was I was somewhat excited about the po- uh, possibility of Bernie being the nominee when it looked like that might be a possibility as well. But I was never like, you know, full-throated, yeah, this is gonna be amazing. And so I think I didn't have the same dip.
1: You know, yeah, yeah. I mean, emotional I
0: journey for that reason.
1: And and looking back, it was probably a bit naive on my part. And I think a lot of leftists are in this position where I mean, I I am 100 percent. I was 100 percent like like bear my tits for Bernie. Like I if, if I saw him in person, I would just show him my hairy bear tits and have him sign sign them so that I could get them tattooed so i could so i could get his signature tattooed like i i was a full-blown bernie bro and i don't know i will acknowledge that it might have been a bit naive you know and Mm -hmm. and looking back i think that if he had one it would have been good but it 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 wouldn't have been easy to accomplish the things that he wanted. And it's likely that we wouldn't have even accomplished most of them.
0: I agree with that. Yeah. I think, I think that, I think that what, uh, in some ways I not, actually I don't want to say that I was going to say I'm glad. No, that's not true. I still would have much preferred Bernie over Biden, but at the same time, I think that we would have been in for a rude awakening had Bernie been elected president, even beyond just I, being the nominee, I think he was that's like president, right. because the structures that we have in place would have ground to a complete fucking halt. Like he yeah. wouldn't have been able to accomplish anything because of having uh, not just obviously just the... Wall of Republicans against him, but because he has from time to time not made friends within the Democratic Party, um, you know, there would yes. be a the wall there as well. And we would have really had revealed the extent to which the president, when when not um, you know, working all of these angles and these collaborations really can't do anything. And I think it would have been like we all have been. I mean I think that a lot of us on an emotional level have been bamboozled by things like um like like the the, the fantasy the fairy tale like the Lion King. You remember seeing the Lion King? So like in the Lion King You've got this lion who is the good ruler, who's caring and just, and there's food, and it's sunny, and everybody is doing well. And then the evil lion dude—I'm forgetting the names right now. Scar, the evil lion dude. Yes, thank you. Um, becomes the king, and all of a sudden everything. <laughs> Jeremy
1: goes to Irons. Shit. Yes. <laughs>
0: Everything goes to shit, and there's no food, and there's nothing. And then at the very end, when the the good uh, Simba becomes king again, and all of a sudden, everything becomes good again, just by virtue of the fact that Simba was a good lion and Scar was a bad lion. Yeah, didn't talk anything about their policies. Didn't talk anything about like what they were actually doing to accomplish this like great difference in the amount of food available or anything else. But it was just that by having a leader who is a good person, you get a wealthy, happy country by having a leader who is a bad person, you get devastation. That was kind of the subtext of the Lion King, and I think a lot of people kind of work on that assumption, not consciously, of course, but like, that's the thing, like, oh, if we get someone who's virtuous and moral and a good, caring person, then things will be okay. And no, they fucking won't.
1: And Um, yeah, and that was, I mean, I mean, that was exactly what happened with Obama, too. You know, Obama. in Obama,
0: and 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 uh, moreover, Obama already was having to play the game. One of the things he gets criticized so hard about by the left is all of the sort of compromise and finagling. And he was called like, "Oh yeah, Obama is the best, you know, conservative president we've had in a while." Ha ha. But because I think that he, on some level, I mean, he realized his own. Preference for how to do healthcare reform or whatever almost didn't matter because of what you and I were just talking about a second Mm. ago. If you aren't able to make alliances and stuff, you can't get anything fucking done. And so even Obama didn't accomplish everything that he wanted to. He accomplished more than he would have by all those compromises that the left hate him for than if he hadn't made compromises. Yeah. So that's the system we have.
1: Exactly. And you know, my at like I tweeted something. When, A, I was not very fucking right in the head um, Uh after, yeah, big, big mistake. Yeah, don't do that. Um, (laughs) um, Complete aside, I'm realizing that I didn't actually introduce who you are. Um, Oh. Hi, this is Penamu. He is the director of ministry for the Satanic Temple and the executive producer for the Satanic Temple tv okay moving on so uh now you know uh 40 minutes in or however long it is um it's all good uh people people know who you are pretty well so i'm just some guy really he's just some dude um with gorgeous hair perfect Aww. perfect hair i'm so sad I don't, I don't tr- I might have to
0: riot soon if I don't get a haircut though. Like I've heard this is the way to solve the haircut <laughs> problem is to go out and like cause trouble in the streets. I, somehow this is what
1: people hey, or you might have to turn into me. So I am I am made for this moment. Um I I have been I am living my best life. Can you hear me okay? Did my audio just Absolutely. cut out? Okay, great. Yep, I gotcha. Um so my I am living my best fucking life right now because I've been practicing my whole life for this for this moment. I have been a cellar dwelling gamer boy my whole fucking life. <laughs> and now I have an excuse. Same with John, my partner. Like John is so introverted, I might as well have an imaginary friend. And like he is he is Hobbes to my Calvin. And um so we're both just living our best life. You know, we are playing lots of video games, getting lots of reading done, and I'm just letting my hair grow out very long. It's wet right now, so you can't see it. But when it's not wet, it is huge and 80s. And I have kind of so, a mullet going on in the back. I look like just, Joe Exotic. I need, dye, I need to dye the top blonde like Joe Exotic.
0: You could shave the sides and do a mohawk.
1: Yes, I could do that too. Hold on, a cat needs out. All right. Okay. So I was I was saying something. What the fuck was I saying? Oh yeah. So, you know, when I I okay yeah, the thought that I had before I completely derailed it with a self interrupted with another thought was, um, when I was not very sane, and this was during the grocery apocalypse, um and i was just physically run down and i was and uh you know dealing with bernie you know dropping out and being sad about that but also seeing the complete and utter incompetence and disgusting levels of disregard for human life on the far right um during the pandemic just like oh yeah let's just reopen and if old people have to die that's fine that's okay it's worth it just seeing that i tweeted the right is a death cult republicans are a death cult and democrats are craven careerists Mm. and thinking about that i'm not actually sure if that's all true (laughs) <laughs> I'm not sure if all Democrats, if all centrist liberals, if all liberals in general are are just craven careerists and realizing that it's true for a lot, probably, but it isn't true for all. And I shouldn't. And and but I. And that's what I found. A lot of the leftist media I was consuming pushed me towards It was just this this categorizing of. Of any centrist or any anyone less left than me, as being craven, and that's not true. I mean, it's just it's just not true. You know, Absolutely. maybe a lot of them are craven careerists, but be- Ezra Klein is not a fucking supervillain because he isn't as far left as me. <laughs> you know.
0: So um so yeah no i mean i think it, it, this is a this is a legitimately complicated conversation um yes because, it is because when you talk about rhetoric there are you know uh, any sort of rhetoric is simultaneously sort of two different purposes one is for communication of information and one is for achieving an effect right and um yeah and so and, and there's and, and there is some burden on the listener to sort of understand context and so you know, you don't want to wander too far into the you know, the not all you know hashtag not all not all men. It's like, yeah, of course when when anyone so ever says so-and-so category are like this there is um there's usually an implicit acknowledgement that, that doesn't mean every instance of the group is like that. It means that there's a general tendency. And so, you know, you don't want to wander too far into being really pedantic about, like, generalized statements. But on the other hand, you also don't want to wander too far into the accepting wholeheartedly without any nuance these generalizations, because that also, you know, can yes. be problematic in the exactly. way you think about. What the solution should be so like there's some there's got to be some sort of middle ground in that dialogue exactly and i feel um, like
1: i have and i feel like i'm not even close to figuring that out (laughs) like i feel like i'm not even close to figuring out that balance and lately my lately honestly this is the first time i think i've talked about like political candidates on the show this was not at all, the conversation I expected to have tonight.
0: Oh, we have notes about the topics, so and this is not on the list. Mr. <laughs> yes,
1: we have. We have actually uh, notes for the show tonight, and this was <laughs> not at all intended. But it is. It's fine. It is a good conversation because I think a lot of people are struggling with this. And um, may I?
0: May I? Sorry. May I use this as a quick uh, plug? I wasn't going to yes, plan please. on doing this either. Go for it. But. Um, but I, and I've been working. There's a there's a show that I've been working on for the Satanic Temple TV, kind of for a while. Uh, but I'm fu- we're finally in the in the last stages, and I think that it's going to be um, we're going to be dropping it. The premiere is going to be sometime this month, and I'm super excited about it. And it is uh, we decided the title that we decided on for the show is Unraveling, and uh, it is a. Dialogue show. It's a discussion show between myself and my friend uh, Gregory Stevens. His name is also Gregory Stevens, um, <laughs> and and it's it's uh, and he's this incredibly smart, uh, incredibly well educated guy. His background is dramatically different from mine. He actually went to he got a master's in divinity and was a Baptist minister. Where for did a he while. get his
1: master's of divinity? By the way. Do you know?
0: I don't know offhand, unfortunately. Okay, cool. No worries. I feel like maybe somewhere in San Diego. But was it I, Fuller?
1: I, was it Fuller Seminary?
0: I I would have to. Would okay. Have to ask. No worries. Him. I don't know. But um, but uh, but now he, you know, then he was very dramatically, uh, you know, sort of fired from his church for being like to left wing, which was weird because he was specifically hired to be the like, noisy, queer, (laughs) young, like appealing to young people. Like Uh he was kind of hired for that box. Uh Um, But but then now, uh, the thing is that we both agree on so much, but we also fundamentally disagree on certain things too. Specifically, he's an anarchist. Mm. He he is he is full-on like we when we talk about Satanism He is uh, He he likes the idea of Satanism Um, He's only come to it relatively recently But he feels that the satanic temple is too conservative Because he doesn't think Mm. that it makes sense to participate in such a genocidal corrupt horrific system as capitalism and we should be spending every single moment that we have trying to tear it down And um, and I'm just not I'm just not there. I'm pretty far left, but I'm not there. Yeah. Um, and we see so much dialogue on social media, especially where, like you were just talking about, this is what made me think of it is the, the, you know, accusing anyone who, you know, uh, accusing anyone who isn't as far left as whatever stake in the ground, as, you know, being complicit or as being, you know, um, as as being essentially complicit in genocide and a mass murdering machine because of the fact that you're not, um, that you're not trying to, uh, you know, tear down and boycott the military or whatever. And so, we decided we were gonna do a show where we talk about stuff because the fact is Gregory and I have been friends for years. And so we can have a conversation where we can even sort of be overt and express the fact that, like, like, dude, you really frustrate me sometimes. I don't understand how you can't get this. Like, we can have that level of dialogue. <laughs> yes. But but it won't turn into one of those, like, oh, you know, you're and it won't become a name-calling whatever thing like it often becomes on social media. Yes. We decided on the name of the show being Unraveling because I'm really entertained by the fact that the word unravel can mean both explain and destroy.
1: And simultaneously. So, um, <laughs> oh, I love that actually. That's that's fantastic. <laughs>
0: So keep an eye out for that. We're hoping to, we're gonna try to drop a trailer in the next week or two and get the first episode. It's gonna be a live series, which is something we've been doing on the Satanic Temple TV where each episode comes out as a live uh, episode and then the recording of it goes in and you can also get, you know, see it as a series, episodic series the recordings afterwards, but as the individual episodes are just recorded live events.
1: That's awesome, yeah, and by the way, everyone, everyone should be subscribing to the satanictemple.tv um that's the address online on the browser just go right now it's so easy it is so easy to do just go and and type the satanictemple.tv and subscribe it's just $15 a month it isn't anything is it 15 no. 10 i don't remember 5 I, I it's can't 999,
0: remember. It's nine ninety nine. It's nine ninety nine a month for a membership. Nine uh, ninety nine. Yes, po- there you go. And I do want to point out that because we do know a lot of people are struggling with um with stuff right now, uh, we have made a commitment to keep a lot of content. Uh, like so, for example, all of our live events are free, and um, so for these live series, when it's airing, it's free. And if you want to like get access That's to cool. the past ones, then you become a member. But um, but a lot of our things have been you know if you want to catch it live then it is free and then the, you get access to sort of the archives as it were uh, for, as being a paying member. So.
1: That's really cool. Yeah. So uh, everyone needs to go watch uh, uh, the um, oh, what was the, what's the name of the Process Church documentary? Um, I can't remember. Oh yeah.
0: Sympathy for the Devil.
1: Sympathy for the Devil. Everyone needs to watch Sympathy for the Devil. And then there's some really cool stuff about Genesis P. Orridge and Anton LaVey and yeah, super cool stuff. So go, that's the, that's the plug. Okay. So I guess at this point in the conversation, we can go in two different directions. One is a direction that we did not plan for at all. And the other direction Mm -hmm. is what we did plan for because you mentioned a social media and B accusations on the left of not being left enough and that means that you might be a crypto fascist okay so um i'll leave it up to you to decide which which way we want to go and i'm at this point i'm okay talking about either
0: i mean that conversation is is worth having i feel like um I feel like uh, maybe we should dedicate another another point in time for that. Yeah, let's uh, do that. Might need a, a caffeinated drink and and
1: uh, you know, Night, a little more. Might need a bong. Might <laughs> Some, something something in the in the emotional reserves. I mean, um, if we're going to self flagellate in that way, we I'm definitely gonna need. I'm going to need some liquid courage for that, but yeah, that's an interesting conversation. We can have that one later. And for people who have no idea what we're talking about, that's okay. Just move that's on. Okay. That is totally fine. Okay, so ah. we, so okay, so on the show, um, social media. You you mentioned social media and how um, things get distorted so easily on social media. I've been reading a lot of books lately about big tech. And, of course, I just recently had both Lucian and—oh, um, uh, what's his name? Oh, God, I'm such a terrible host—Rob Larson. Rob Larson, who is an incredible socialist economist and super smart guy. He's a smart socialist. He He's a counterpoint to my stupid socialist. He's one of the smart socialists. And he's— um. And he wrote a book called Bit Tyrants. I I think it is, a, I released that show a week or two ago. Definitely go check it out. And um, so he is very critical, of course, of big tech. Um, his book covers the the primary and he he approached it primarily as an economist so he he approached it purely as an economist here are the evil villainous things that these gigantic companies have done to their workers for example um and here's what we can do to organize to help stop them from abusing amazon warehouse workers you know really important stuff here's here's how we can organize to help foxconn uh who who design who makes the iphone who manufactures the iphone's um in china here's how we can organize to put pressure on them so that you know their workers don't go on a suicide strike which did happen um because the conditions are horrific and yeah so he approached it primarily as an economist and didn't talk as much about big data and the collecting of information um but he touched on it and then i had lucian on lucian Greaves, the founder co-founder of the satanic temple spokesperson of the satanic temple and um he has a very we we spent a lot of time on our previous over 2 hour conversation talking about this uh, about um big tech and especially facebook how destructive facebook has been um, that is a talking point for him. I think that Greg is laughing. Greg is holding back laughter.
0: Do not even mention Facebook in his presence. He
1: <laughs> will launch I, an entire rant. So... I learned that actually. I <laughs> It was great. I loved it. I love when I have a guest where I just say a word and it's like boom and they just go for the next hour and that is exactly what Lucian did and I fucking loved it. It was great. Um I so I I personally lean towards okay. How do I how do I feel about big tech? Because we're talking about this. This has been coming up on the show unexpectedly because we're all relying on technology more than we ever have before. Right. You know, we're we're in this apocalypse. We're all hiding out in our homes and we are connecting through social media, through Facebook, through Twitter. And through these video platforms and through Discord, so on and so forth. And a lot of these platforms collect big data. So now is actually a really fucking good time to have this conversation about big tech and our relationship to it. Um, My personal, I guess, position is that I think technology is generally a force for good. I think it makes humanity better. I think... Um, the technology that we're on right now, we're talking on zoom, um, makes the world a better place. And I think the concept of social media is good. I think the business plan for social media as it stands right now is very bad (laughs) personally. And I, and I fear that it brings out the worst in humanity. I fear that the way the business plan of, I, fear that the business plan of platforms like Facebook and Twitter and Google, which is basically you are not the customer, these other gigantic third parties, invisible third parties who want to manipulate you for weird, creepy ends, they are the customer and your data is the currency. And... that hits me on a really deep visceral level. And so I understand that I might not actually be thinking about this very clearly because we've been primed for generations by books like 1984 and Fahrenheit 451 and so on. You know, we've been primed forever by dystopian sci-fi to, for this stuff to come up and for it to be bad. (laughs) And so, and it, and it, and it hits me on a very visceral level, like that's awful, that's bad. And I do think that a lot of stuff that Facebook has done is fucking criminal, if not criminal, just fucking reckless and is not good. But that isn't to say that technology is evil. That isn't to say that data collect—and and here's, here's my more ambiguous feeling on it. Is mass data collection on us alone bad when it isn't being sold to third parties? Is it bad? And is there so much data on so many people that it just becomes meaningless? Like, you know, like they like they know, Greg, like they they know all your favorite kinks they know every single thing about you same with me they know my routine <laughs> like but it but does it matter because they know that about every other human being on this planet does the fact that it happens to everyone make it meaningless i don't know your thoughts. Phil <laughs> so you've okay and also let me preface you I'm asking you this because you've done a lot of thinking about this. You're a tech guy. You do I read I I read your LinkedIn account actually and I understood only about a fifth of what it said. I understood only about a a a tiny portion of of I I understood that you got a doctorate in something and that was about yeah, nope. the, that was about or a master's nice. in something and that was about the nope, last about thing i that. understood
0: so um so right i have oh let's see so i have i have thought about specifically the question of privacy for a while i actually um uh, i i was in an argument with Luci- lucian uh, like maybe six months ago, eight months ago, we were talking about privacy, and um, and for some reason I got on a kick. I was like, I was like, I've written about this topic a lot, so I went back and I went to check, and so I sort of googled myself a little bit on this, and it turns out that like I've written. Um, starting in, I think the earliest one out there that I've written is like 2010, yeah. And I have written, you know, a dozen more and more things on the topic of privacy, and all of them have been fairly consistently, like repudiating people for expressing privacy concerns. Now, I want to, I want to be very careful about like the, explaining what I mean by that, mm. because um, I'm not like, I guess so the funny thing is when it comes to and i'm sorry before i get sidetracked on that um also my technical background before i quit my corporate job is in big data and machine learning and analytics and so it was exactly doing the sort of like you know what kind of algorithms. <laughs> so so you were like we, the
1: evil scientist you're you're like the the evil scientist behind you know in the lab concocting these things that all of the privacy, you know, people who are worried about privacy are stressing over?
0: Even worse, I was in the energy sector. And so, Uh-oh. <laughs> so so like, so, but, but yeah, I was like look, looking at all <laughs> these sorts of data and trying to come up with predictive models or these different sort of things to try to figure out things about people um, based on this massive, massive flow of data and information that we got about mm. them. Um, And it was like, you know, for real, it was like, uh, you know, in in the energy sector, you know, it's like you can, depending on where you are in the country and where, what grid you're on, like, potentially your energy company can get your energy usage every 15 minutes, 24 hours a day, 365 days a year, exactly how it fluctuates over different things between that and freaking, you know, Google maps and all these other things, like you can get a lot of information about people, whether or not they're home, how many people are in the household, what their daily routine is, whether Hmm. or not they go on vacation regularly certain times of year, Hmm. is all stuff that can be sort of inferred from this this type of information. This information is also very heavily regulated and controlled, by within the energy sector, and so it's not per se public data, but it's information that the that the energy company has right so um mm-hmm. so that's so that was sort of so just to give you my sort of where I'm coming from like yeah so this is exactly
1: background. this is so that is exactly the background that I want to hear from, actually, because what I have been ingesting is people is from with the exception of Jaron Lanier, whose book. 10 arguments to delete your social media accounts right now. I read his book recently, with the exception, and he was like, you know, he's been a long time techie um, in Silicon Valley. But with the exception of him, all of the criticisms of big data have come from non that I have heard and that I have read <laughs> have come from concerned citizens who are not uh, part of that industry and don't have an insider view. So, it's very, this is actually exactly what yeah. I want to hear.
0: Yeah. And and it's interesting because in, in, in our day-to-day lives, we do always come in contact with the conveniences of having uh, of big data and big data analytics. You know, all mm. of the things from the little targeted selections of interesting stuff you might be interested in. And I remember I, I actually, uh, last year I gave a, a talk at a, Artificial intelligence and machine learning conference in Las Vegas and uh, at this conference I'm like poking around and watching other people's presentations and there was a, uh, a presenter there from Netflix and um, And I learned something about Netflix in that talk that I didn't realize and now that I've been told I can't unsee it so this is this is what I learned at this talk. Awesome. He was saying that not only, like everybody knows that the recommended, you know, things you might like is based on patterns of things you've watched. And it's very, very sensitive. Like they get information about not just what you've watched and how long, but like thumbnails you've hovered over for different amounts of time and what day it yes. was when you hovered over it. And they can infer, and from that, they can infer things like, you know, whether sometimes they can tell differences in patterns. Whether there's a spouse home looking over your shoulder to see whether or not you hesitate longer on certain types of movies than others.
1: Oh, like all this, that's cool yeah. and creepy. Is oh, it's, it's cool, cool and creepy? Creepy, cre creel. It's it's and creepy it and right. cool. It's creer. cruel, cruel, cruel,
0: pee. cruel pee. Yes. <laughs> but but then on a whole other level, you mentioned that like. There are more subtle types of tailoring of the content as well. Like, for example, a lot of these days it's very common for the big movies and TV shows to have more than one primary cover image for the show. And the one that you see is tailored to you
1: i did so. know about this actually i forget where i read i read something about this a couple of years ago
0: and 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 it's, it's something that i was unfamiliar with and I, uh, but, but you know listening to this talk um you know and so the example that they gave in the talk was uh stranger things you know if you have shown a habit of watching family oriented things with kids then you'll get the thumbnail with the cute kids if you have a habit of watching horror, <laughs> you get the big creature and yes. so like right what that's you the one see, i get right the way you see will depend on. Everything. and so all of a sudden i had that moment of revelation i was like that's why it's always shirtless guys on every show and standing through the like, <laughs> what <laughs> the fuck but but yeah so it's that's tailored hilarious to what you are likely to um, to select, and uh, and a lot of people find that whether it's that or whether it's Twitter recommended stories or whatever it is, right? A lot of people do find that convenient, right? They don't like it when it edges into creepy. I love,
1: it. yeah, I I love convenient. it for like Kindle. You know, like Kindle knows exactly what I want to read. Yeah, I fucking right. love it.
0: And it and it does it does have it it, it it's. The, um, you know, it has some obvious drawbacks and some obvious complaints where people say, oh, well, what if I'm deliberately looking for something new or, or different? But like, you know, don't think that the people who are in the analytics and marketing departments of these companies don't realize that that's an objection. Like they're working mm-hmm. on that as well. Like they, yeah. that's a problem that they want to solve because they're all very motivated to sort of get, you know, your interest in their product and all these things. So um so in that sense, there are pe- in that sense, we're all very used to being okay with certain types of data, you know, not being, you know, private or being fed back to us and used in a um, sort of uh, for, for the purposes of encouraging our further capitalism. Um, and so I, I feel like I worry about the the conversation about privacy because I feel like in some ways it's a, it it very easily distracts us from what the real problem is. So I I bring up Mm. that example of the convenience as just one example of a case where, you know, it's like there's certain types of privacy or certain, I won't say types of privacy, but there's certain boundaries that are a little bit squishy, you know, in terms of what we care about and what we don't. Mm. There's also another uh, facet of, the way privacy is constructed legally, the, um, is very, very squishy. And um, and if you don't mind, like we're chatting for a while, right? if you don't mind, I'm going to tell a quick story. To sort of illustrate go for that, it. Right?
1: Yeah, no, I I am locked in quarantine in my office, and if I wasn't talking to you, I would be lit- reading a book or playing Animal Crossing. So, <laughs> ah,
0: ah. well,
1: all right. I <laughs> so will, I will try so to go for it. Maybe this will be the yes. So I'm I'm describing. By the way, I'm describing to potential guests. Like think of it as like long Joe Rogan show. Like just (sighs) chill, hang out, but with less transphobia. Oh God, yeah,
0: right, excellent. Well, thank you for that qualifier. Um, But yeah, so several years ago, I was um, I was called to serve on a jury. And, um, you know, I went down, I got the little letter and and I uh, I, I actually don't mind. Some people
1: hate serving on juries. Oh, um, I think it's I fascinating. Could... I think it's really yeah. interesting. I think it's cool.
0: I, I like it because I feel like I'm doing, I'm participating in the system in a positive way. And I also feel like I get exposed to a cross section of, of people in that environment that I just normally wouldn't in my day-to-day life. I find it very interesting. Sure. And um, so I got selected for this this jury, and it turns out that the case is um, a member of a biker gang who is suing other members of the biker gang for having um, disclosed their HIV status at a biker gang meeting. Hmm. So already it's fascinating and the whole thing was like this sitting on a single's was, was Was just mind-blowing in so many ways because for one thing I guess um, I guess they commonly refer to each other by their like biker gang Nicknames and so even though when the people would first get up on the stands They'd be introduced with their full name I guess maybe just because it was so common and so natural they would refer to each other when we're counting events with the night biker gang nickname. So we'd see the, the lawyer there in the suit and they'd be dressed in, you know, whatever they're dressed in um, the sleeveless leather vest. And the lawyer would say, so is it your allegation that on such and such date um, tattoo Barbie came into the place? Of like, you know? <laughs>
1: That's great.
0: So, so like, this is the sort of context and, um, and the whole thing, whether or not, you know, some of the, facts of the case were established. Um, the, the person who was the plaintiff did tell another person in the Biker about their HIV status. And, um, and it was at, a back, at one of their events. Um, the plaintiff said that it was their belief that because it was a one-on-one conversation, it was a private conversation.
1: Mm, yeah.
0: The allegation of the defendant was, oh, I just thought that because I was being told at this event, it was general public knowledge. And so later on, what happened was the person who heard it, there was some disagreement, and this person then, according to the plaintiff, maliciously, according to the defendant, just out of not thinking it mattered, went and told everybody. Hmm. And um and the entire way that we were instructed to think about the case on um, the jury was, you know one of the key questions was, did the plaintiff have an expectation of privacy, a reasonable expectation of privacy, I should say, um, around the information about their HIV status, given that they told this one other person at this public event? Hmm. and so and this is just one of the facets of, of Privacy that I find very interesting is that from a legal the way it's legally constructed now We can get into other philosophical notions of privacy, but as a legal construction A lot revolves around this idea of an expectation. But when are you justified in? expecting that something will be private hmm. and I think that I think that that's that's extremely difficult, especially as technology evolves. What you can reasonably expect now, I mean, all right, so obviously if you are walking down the street, and one of the big misapplications of the privacy concept that that you hear and that even people sort of joke about is like, the, the guy who gets caught um, being seen by a friend or a co-worker or a wife coming out of the porn store. And he's like, oh, I, can't, I feel so violated that this is an invasion of privacy. And of course, it's not an invasion of privacy because he's walking out onto the street.
1: Right? Yes, exactly. Okay.
0: But he didn't expect to be caught, so he feels violated. And so even though legally it doesn't stand up, that's where that hmm. intuition of privacy so- comes from. It's like, well, I thought I thought that that I wouldn't, be able to you know that no one would find out and so therefore i feel as though um it should be private but go ahead
1: well okay so basically what i'm hearing you say is that there is a dissonance between the intuitions regarding privacy and the reality and or legality of privacy and that those are actually two very different things. And that we have to decouple them. We have to, we have to decouple the the intuitive sense of of privacy, like the guy walking out of the porn shop, with of with the actual expectations of being a human being living in society. Is that what I'm hearing you say?
0: I think that's the first step of the point that I'm making. Okay. But to to an extent, to an extent. I mean, our legal system has always sort of worked a little bit on intuition anyway, like that's why we have juries and stuff. Like, you know, it's, 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 it's a constantly, you know, the, even the whole notion of the term of uh, expectation of privacy gives some gives some, you know, acknowledgement to the fact that there is this socially sort of constructed idea of what is reasonable to expect. And that's fine. I mean, our legal system has all kinds of vague things like that in it. That's, you know, that's fine. That's human. But um, but as technology goes on, and as we get these big data systems, and as we get these algorithms that can do more and more, um, the question of what can reasonably be expected also becomes very interesting. Back when I was uh, living with my husband in Dallas, and we had the little ring, the little the The Ring uh, doorbell with a little camera.
1: Yeah, you know that—that's what I have. I mean, this, yeah. this house is basically, you know, suited up with Amazon. So, you know, we right. have the Alexa, we have Ring. Yeah,
0: and so and so, like you know, it, it used to be maybe you know, ten years ago, twenty years ago, a person you know comes home, comes home. Stumbling a little bit having trouble getting in the door at 2 a.m. and uh, Has the expectation that the next morning when I wake up and I'm like, oh, hey, when, when did you get in? Oh, I don't know a little bit after midnight or whatever it might have the expectation that um, You know, you'll get away with that. And of course now I can go back and look at the video. Nope, well, it says here 2 30 a.m actually, honey, you know and um And as technology changes, more and more of that's gonna be the case. You can be, Hmm. when you're walking down the street, you have not only the fact that you're walking down the street, but all of that now can be potentially recorded, collected with other data, correlated with other information about how often, how regularly you walk down the street at that time of day, Hmm. inferences can be made. Uh, we have satellites that can have high enough resolution images of you when you're walking down the street to be able to tell how quickly and slowly you're walking which potentially could be used to infer your mood. We have all, we have all these sort of different uh, avenues of information. And so now as our computer systems get better and better at figuring stuff out with patterns of data, this is what big data and analytics really are about. It's about looking at the minutiae of details of masses of information and being able to find patterns to be able to make inferences. And so let me put this to you. If I can infer something from public information that you normally would consider private, is it private or is it public? Right. If, if I, if, if the computer systems can t- look at the pattern of, of how quickly you're walking, the expression on your face, because, mm. you know, the satellites, if they're not that good now, they will be soon. Mm-hmm. They can look at these things that are publicly viewable information. And if they can, they can calculate diving into their massive database of what sorts of things cause people to act or change their behaviors in certain ways and come up with an inference about um, something about you that you normally would think, "Oh, I haven't told anyone that, that's private. Is that private or is it public because the computer algorithm figured it out based on public data?
1: So what I'm hearing is that we expect privacy not to scale with the development of technology
0: yes that is exactly okay. exactly that is exactly what i think i think okay. that as our computational power increases as our technology improves hmm. we're going to rapidly approach the point where nothing nothing substantive, is private because if something can be inferred from public information, there's no grounds for believing for it to be private.
1: Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I get that. And I guess that is, I don't know, I, I guess that's kind of my... When I say everything... Everything is public, therefore, my personal information being mined or known and collected, I should say, becomes meaningless. I guess that's what I'm talking about. It's like mm-hmm. it's happening to everyone. Therefore, why should I care that Alexa is listening to me fuck my husband in the next room?
0: But, but now, <laughs> you know, let's, well, let's go into that a little bit. Okay. Because because um, because when you ask when you really dig down into this conversation, and this is why I started off this whole thing saying that I feel that the argument about privacy is a distraction or can get people distracted from what really matters. And let me go back to yes please what I because mean.
1: that so, did interest me a lot and I and if and I have a question that I'll ask later that might tie into that
0: um, yeah, and this is directly related to what what you were just saying is that um, when you ask you know, when you ask that hypothetical question, why should it matter? Like when you ask people, when you really get into this conversation, you know, why does privacy matter? What do you mean by privacy and why do you care? Usually the answer is some sort of form of not necessarily intrinsically about the information simply being in existence somewhere. It's about how it potentially could be used, right? Exactly. It's a, yeah. And that's and why is-
1: and that's the issue with Facebook. And like I was about to ask you, sorry, I'll just go ahead and throw it out there. Do you personally have an issue with having Facebook on your phone? knowing, and, and we can talk about this maybe a bit later, knowing the specific ways in which data on that platform has been used? Of course, the the whole anal- Cambridge Analytica, whatever, micro targeting, advertising to people, to manipulate elections so on and so forth um that strikes me as a very creepy and bad use of big data while maybe the the collection of data itself that feels more ambiguous to me honestly right
0: exactly well no that's a perfect example because if i were what i would love to do, what I would love for us, we as a culture to do is to move the conversation away from talking about what information should or should not be considered private Mm -hmm. and away from the privacy conversation and towards data governance. What are you allowed to do with data? And isn't that
1: something? Sorry, go on.
0: No, just because because and it's just in some ways, this is just one of those subtle like shifts of nuance. But I think it makes a huge difference because as long as we're locked into this mindset of thinking that the topic of the conversation is classifying types of data as private or not private, it really prevents us from acting on solutions that are disorder solutions that matter because it isn't a question of whether Facebook should or should not have data X or data Y. Because like I said, in the end, they're gonna be able to have good enough algorithms to figure out the types of data they shouldn't have from the types of data they should have. So that's the wrong conversation to have. The conversation Mm -hmm. is let's assume everybody can get the data let's talk about governing what can be done with it and making sure that there are real consequences to using data improperly so it's a data i feel it should be mm-hmm. a data governance conversation not a privacy conversation because privacy is is getting everybody to look at it in a way that becomes mired in questions of types of data, and can you have the data on the server or not? Fuck it. If the data exists or can be extrapolated, people will have it. So that is a useless conversation. Sorry, I'm getting all fired up here. But No, I a love useless, it. It's great. <laughs> <laughs> that is a useless conversation to have because in the end, in the end, the data, the with Internet of Things, with all of the sources of information out there, Uh, the data will be able to be obtained. I say in the passive voice. Um, it's the idea of trying to prevent people from having it Is simply a fool's errand. What we need to do is say, all right, let's assume that they're all going to get it And that you can still make it hard for people, but Let's not have our our laws and restrictions and our governance based on trying to prevent it from getting there. Let's make it so that the conversation we're having is if you do this with people's data, then that's, you know, then there are going to be these consequences. Because in the end, that's really what it's about. What people, you know, it's, it's when people say that they want their information to be private, what they mean is they don't want to be fucking blackmailed. They don't want to be manipulated. I was just, yes. They don't just, want to yes. have these things happen.
1: Yeah. Okay, so I was I was actually just going to bring that up. So, bas- so we already do this. We already have data governance, just not in the age of big data, if that makes sense. So it's like you can extract, so... We have laws, for example, against libel, blackmail, slander, and threats of violence, right? Those are, those are the big, in my understanding, again, stupid leftist, in my understanding, those are the big uh, restrictions on free speech, right? Slander, threats of violence, and libel. Um, in a way, that is data governance, We all, we, does that make sense? Like we already do this, but, but now the, the data is scale is, is whether we like it or not is scaling with the technology that we have, but we are expecting it to not scale. We have this intuitive sense that it shouldn't scale when really we should just apply the same kind of governments, governance or maybe not the same kind but it isn't a big leap to say because we have this data essentially what is data governance in libel slander so on and so forth um there's no reason that can't scale either i don't know i don't know how much sense i'm making
0: yeah no i I agree with that i think that makes sense And, and and part of it is is part of it is that um that things aren't very well enforced, and part of it is that a lot of these issues are there aren't understood, or the uh, or simply are sort of un- untried in terms of case law and stuff. The whole thing is um, the whole thing is uh, a bit of when you get into new technologies, and um, the part of the problem is that you not, you don't have things that are being properly enforced, and that's due in part, I believe. It's just my opinion. Because the people who are sort of in the system all the way through, from the people who could bring the lawsuits to the people who are the judges or to the people who are the legislators, they don't really understand. Like, they don't understand the issues behind, um, behind like what, you know, they don't know, they don't know who to, when someone does a deep fake revenge porn of someone else they don't know who's supposed to supposed to get blamed for that, you know, and um, and so there's right. there's a real there's uh, it, it's it is and that's another reason why my big appeal would be you know to have our cultural conversation shift to data governance because obviously as you were mm-hmm. just saying the data governance side of it needs a lot of attention.
1: It needs, it needs attention. a it needs a ton of attention and yeah. And the business plans, and this is this is something that I have a real, I have very real concerns about. I I worry, and maybe this is just me being a Luddite, but I really worry if the way social media platforms are set up, the way their business plans work are bringing out the um, very—maybe not the very worst. I shouldn't go that far. But bringing out the bad (laughs) in human nature and that there's something about the business plans themselves, meaning, um, you know, Jaron Lanier goes into all of this. And and I thought, you know, of all the perspectives that I've read on this lately, so— I I also recently read The Circle by Dave Eggers, and this and Dave Eggers writes a and it's a novel. It's this kind of dystopian novel which takes place in what is a very clear facsimile of Google and Facebook kind of combined. So it's like a a search. Uh, it, it's a it's a search app plus social media plus payment app plus it's everything and you just described google yes i did <laughs> i just described google and <laughs> and my concern with that book i don't know i i i enjoyed it it was a fun read um but my concern with that book was dave eggers is seemed very opposed not just to the uses of data but the data itself and those to me that strikes me as a conflation those are two separate issues that require different that requires different philosophies and, and approaches. Right. And, but I think a lot of people, and if I'm hearing you correctly, I think a lot of people are conflating big data and the uses of big data as just one big thing. And that isn't correct. And so I, you know, like I said, I have very grave concerns about social media and it really scares me. Facebook, Facebook, I, yeah. Facebook scares me. Twitter scares me. Even though I practically li- no, I don't live on Fa- I don't live on Twitter anymore. Actually, I've been really good. I only you haven't look been at that good, bro. What's that? <laughs> you haven't been
0: that good, bro. I've seen you.
1: <laughs> hey, I I only I only look at at Twitter now when I'm on my laptop. So it's off my phone okay. completely. So that's good. Uh, no, Twitter's I'm great. I'm I'm still a little degenerate Twitter troll who doesn't know how to control himself on Twitter, but I'm I'm getting better. I'm learning. Every day. Every day. <laughs> What's really alarming is when people are like, how are you so chill on Twitter? Like, you know, a lot of my followers are like, you're like the most chill person on Twitter I follow. And I'm like, Jesus Christ, that's mortifying. <laughs> I, no, I feel you... like I'm ready to burn everything down on Twitter. You um. Well, I mean, I
0: feel like I feel like just in the time that we've known each other and been talking about the topic of Twitter use and social media, um, you've uh you've consciously like I know we've talked about this, right? You've consciously oh, yeah. of, uh crafted a uh chill response thing, but um but yeah, I mean it's like we all there's everyone should know that how chill the carefully crafted response is versus what might be going on inside. I oh guess, my God. since a lot of people use Twitter in a way where they don't carefully craft their responses, maybe they're not familiar it, with that disconnect, but...
1: And it takes a Herculean effort to, to... So, I've had conflicts on Twitter that... This is so fucking stupid. That weeks later, I'm still so mad about. There's something about it where I know, and I know this because I've had these conversations in person where if I had that exact same conversation in person, it would have been fine. It would have been great or, or over, or over the phone or even on discord, even in the chat logs on discord would have been better, but there's something about Twitter. And I, and I know that it's, Fucking hacking my brain. And when the only currency on social media is social currency, that I think is actually kind of a problem. When you fee when the only currency on social media is, is your social rank, mm-hmm. then suddenly in that setting, disagreement feels of a- a- so much fucking bigger. And And anything that might demote your status in the tribe, in the pack, you know, in the the chimpanzee troop that is the the human experience, um, anything that might demote that or anything that might feel like it threatens that or anything that might threaten a sense of standing, any disagreement, it suddenly feels there's something about Twitter I think that amplifies that. And even though I know that, it doesn't change the fact that it still happens. And so I've just realized knowing it isn't enough. I have to just limit my use of Twitter. And yeah. amazingly, people hating you on Twitter doesn't matter as much when you're not on Twitter. <laughs>
0: well, I mean, first of all, in all sincerity, um, good for you for uh, for having that realization and for having the realization that, um, that simply being aware of the thing doesn't necessarily solve the emotional aspect of it without changing behavior as well because a lot of people don't even like a lot of people it's so and this isn't a criticism of people by the way this isn't a critic what i'm saying is not to demean or criticize people who are caught up in it but what i'm saying is that it is a very human thing it is a very natural thing to get caught up in that moment and to um and to just have the And it's, I think Twitter has made it worse. I think that does an extent to which um, the way that the immediacy and the interconnectedness of social media currently is ramping up what has been a gradual, you know, there's this exponential curve of interconnectedness that's been going on, I mean, forever, but, but, you know, just thinking back to the internet, Ten years ago, twenty years ago, and you know, yeah, similar things sort of would happen on a smaller scale. Like, like I remember in nineteen ninety, fuck, what was it, three or four? When I had like,
1: I was a, five uh, years old.
0: Five years old. I had a uh, bad breakup with a uh, with a boyfriend who decided to take to usenet so shout out to anyone in the audience who's old enough to remember what usenet was Um, (laughs) yes
1: i know what usenet is because i've been reading these books about ah, tech ah, ah.
0: <laughs> i learned about it in my history class exactly saying, i but... <laughs> learned about it
1: in my history class uh, also by the way speaking of ancient history greg aka penamu just had a birthday we're not going to ask him how really? old he is that is forever a secret it is a a, a, pro, a deeply protected secret all i know is that he looks like he's, he's in his 30s but he is not in fact in oh. his 30s no i read this hilarious oh. article uh, by someone who interviewed you and it said a, a fit young man in his, th- you know, Greg Stevens, a fit young man in his thirties. And I was like, I don't know how old Greg is, but I know he's not in his thirties. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, yeah, no, that's, that kind of mistake is always very sweet, but, uh,
0: but yeah, like I remember, so in like 1993, four, whatever it was, I had a bad breakup with a guy I was dating who, um, who decided to take to Usenet and post all kinds of awful things about me. And, um, you know, and I was horrified because in, in that moment I was like, oh, everybody, this is the infamous everybody, everybody is seeing these things and everybody is hearing these things about me. And, um, and I didn't even wanna go on the internet and, and see cause I was just so embarrassed and I was so crushed. And um, and you know the fact of the matter is that uh, eventually, when I got up the the courage to go and look at what's first of all, no one fucking cared. Like the replies uh, to the post- yes, would, no I'm one like,
1: gi- no one gives a shit.
0: Like literally, there was someone who wrote, "Why should we care about drama going on between the two living Ken dolls?" That was like literally the, like literally
1: <laughs> the, the really.
0: The that was one of the comments that was left. but then, but then of course the reality also is that you know a, a, year, a year later two years later it was it was a small corner of you know Usenet and it didn't really impact anything now of course nowadays things are slightly different like social media is big and interconnected and there can be real depending on what someone says about you or how it gets amplified and now employers can see it you know it isn't yeah it, it, this isn't the internet of 1993 and I recognize that. But at the same time, um, like, you know, that that sort of feeling that every little slight that happens on social media now, that's something that was like the reality of using the internet, you know, 20, 30 years ago. But of course, it has all been amplified. And it all has become more of our universal human interconnected experience in, you know, in, in the world we're living in here in the United States and, and in the countries where, Internet use is really prevalent, so
1: so it's like it, with our current state of social media and all this information being out there and all the terrible things being out there, it's like it does matter, but it doesn't have to. And we can create and we can create an internet where you know everyone's dick pics are on the internet because they are, and it doesn't matter. It it, it shouldn't well, what, have to matter, right? Right. Like the fact I that see, I, that's the
0: thing is. I think that there is a a legitimate argument to be made that there are structural things about the way that internet uh, functions that are allowing the worst to come out in people and stuff. But I also think that the problem isn't the technology per se. It's partially culture and it's partially capitalism. Yes, absolutely. The The incentives,
1: the, the incentives create this disgusting system where okay, I'm gonna stop before I before I become like full blown Jack like full blown Bolshevik. Start, you know. Hey,
0: I'm the one who threw out the comment. The problem is capitalism. <laughs> like, and, you. and suddenly,
1: <laughs> I'm singing the the uh, Soviet uh, anthem. <laughs> suddenly, I'm donning like that furry cap, and I'm I'm ready to go. Okay, so so let me ask you this, like, so. Do you have a problem or do you have concerns, for example, about micro-targeting? Meaning or or the way in which the way in which people become isolated within their worldview bubbles. And I was actually just recently listening, I think it was, um, I think it was actually on David Packman that I heard about this, where he was talking to someone who, who talks about uh, or, or who studies the workplace. And he said one of the real, one of the things that keeps different political views connected to each other and so that, so that empathy can be cultivated is the workplace. Well, now people don't have that. As much, and now people are living even more within social media where they are micro targeted because that's the business model and does that worry you like the fact that that my family members and I live in practically two different universes where covid nineteen they live in a universe where covid nineteen is invent you know is is caused by 5g networks whereas i live in a universe where COVID 19 is a virus <laughs> um or the fact that like say if i enter a google search and if a trump voter enters a google search we will get two different results kind of cater to our views does that worry you
0: Yes. Okay. Yes, it does. And it is and it is the sort of capitalism element of it. Now, this is a very complicated <laughs> conversation because um because I'm
1: just going to start every what? time you start opening your mouth, I'm just going to put up a sign that says this is a complicated conversation and then put it's it back down again. <laughs> it's complicated.
0: But and the reason I say that is because I want to start down a path. So the first the first reaction I have um this is, I mean, obviously a big part of the problem with what you were just describing is the incentive structure, which means that traces back to capitalism, right? And, um, and I've long been of the belief that uh, Google, Amazon, something like Facebook, like that these should be, I'm gonna go out on my sort of personal, political, economic, like ideal in here. They should be regulated as utilities and i'm talking
1: I, about like yas queen yas yeah. yes, comrade 100 yeah. percent. they need to be utilities i 100 percent agree and, oh, and, and this is this like is these, when i this is when walk. i make out with you because you just hit all of my buttons like that is <laughs> all of the endorphins are going off right now yes agreed okay yeah. go on
0: and not even like these current, like infected by capitalism since you know the eighties, like notion of what utilities. Are. I'm talking about like back, you know, in the forties, and when people were like, yes, the purpose of government is to actually supply people with things, not just fight wars. Damn it, we're going to have these things function, and um, and yeah, like they should be regulated as utilities. They should be functioning off of a model. That is um, putting service to the public and the public interest as the primary goal, and fuck you know, getting uh, profits and fuck like making more money. It should be about making sure that there is equal access to the to good quality information now i believe all that but here's where it gets complicated
1: okay we're we're breaking up now (laughs) sorry Sorry, bro it's over Um, i'm i'm leaving (laughs) you've burst the bubble
0: because because yeah i mean it's and and i'm not saying that i'm not saying that a system of uh I'm not saying that we shouldn't work towards that sort of ideal. I mean, I absolutely believe we should.
1: Yes, for but sure. But
0: once we really start getting into the question, once we start taking that seriously saying, all right, so how does that world, this glorious future world that we're imagining, how does it actually function? Because the 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 way that the way that, that can go off the rails, right? We've acknowledged we both agree capitalism can go off the rails and does. The way that this other sort of approach can go off the rails is that um, that there's the the inevitable question, if you think that the purpose of Google, I'm going to use that as my example, the purpose of Google should not be to feed you information that you want, but to feed information that is helpful, educational, and correct. Right? Right. That's the ideal. Now, in some situations, it's easily identified what those things are. But there's also a lot of gray area. And there are a lot mm. of situations where identifying what is educational and correct is something that people disagree about. Mm. And so who decides is always the question that runs it off the rails because we would all, we in our you know lefty progressive towers- In our like infinite
1: wisdom, like,
0: We know, obviously, obviously, we know what the correct views are. Absolutely, of
1: course. But
0: but the reality is that that even setting aside some foolish notion that we might be wrong, even even putting that aside, which, of course, obviously, I'm joking, but even putting that aside, any large-scale social system that relies on any particular group of people having uh, decision-making power over what the over what's correct is inherently brittle, because although you yeah. might have the people that you like and agree with in that position of power at that moment in 10 years, 50 years, 100 years, it, it's, it's much easier in a system that already has the power lines set up so that there is a group of people who are deciding what the correct answer the people should see is, it's easy for some other group to simply take over that system. And so having a having a power system that is as disheveled and fragmented and frustratingly, irritatingly non-centralized as um, as I don't even know as democracy or whatever the
1: fuck <laughs> um,
0: like. That The the, the kind of system is completely inefficient, but it's also difficult, not impossible, but difficult for for that quick kind of takeover. Because I feared that once we got in place some sort of wonderful system where, you know, myself and the other, the you know, the scientific liberal elite that are well-educated and so on and so forth. And by the way, for all y'all who don't know me and are tuning in now, I'm being fucking sarcastic. I
1: anyway. would definitely <laughs> make you leftist king. You will be satanic king.
0: <laughs> but let's see, even if even if like now I was able to like come up with this idea of like who I think, you know, what information Google should spit out when you Google, you know, is evolution true or, you know, whatever is, you know, what caused coronavirus? And I know what I think should be spit out by that. And I think it shouldn't be decided by fucking what people feel like they want to hear or what will cause them to buy more products. Those are not what the answer to your question when you type in Google should be based on at all. But I also fear that if we were to actually try to craft, once you get into the details of crafting a society Mm. where there is like, how do you do it? What is the thing that decides the correct answer that Google should give to the question and more importantly, what provisions are in place to prevent whatever that mechanism is, whether there's an algorithm, a committee, whatever it is, from being taken over by the people who say the coronavirus is caused by 5G and dinosaurs were around at the time of Jesus. You know How do you prevent that from happening? That's the struggle for, that, that's the struggle that I come against. When I say, okay, obviously capitalism is not the right motivation structure for Google. Again, I'm going to go with this as the one example we discussed a few things, but people should be given answers that are true and helpful and educational. The sticking point is is like whatever you come up with for an algorithm that figures out what that answer is, how how do you make sure that, that... a system that definitively that isn't based on popularity of the answer or blah, blah, blah. How do you, what do you do to put in place something to prevent it from, you know, if you're, Heads chopped off and you're frozen, and you're reawakened in a hundred years, and you look around, you're like, oh, that fantastic system, that algorithm we put in place that forced Google <laughs> to give correct answers has been somehow manipulated and undermined. So now it's telling everybody that Jesus wrote dinosaurs and coronavirus, which was called by 5G. How do you how do you guard against that?
1: So basically, what I'm what I think I'm hearing is that social engineering is inevitable because that is kind of what that is you know having whether it's an algorithm or a committee deciding how a search engine works is basically deciding what kind of society do we want right what kind of that's that's ultimately what that is and social engineering is always fragile and always precarious there's no way for it not to be
0: i mean i mean like my See and this is this is one of these this goes back to a conversation that I've had and a lot of people have had over and over again yeah. about you know cuz I would love to I would love to I mean really when it comes to my ideology and you know my politics like I have I have ideals that I cling to Even though I sort of know that they may be factually wrong, because I think that they are important as ideals to strive for. So, like, so like all of my sort of Enlightenment era ideas, the idea that um, you know, well, you know, the Enlightenment era ideals that uh, you know sort of are the grounding of the uh, of the political philosophy of representative of free speech and representative um, government. The idea that at our hearts, at our hearts, humanity is uh, rational and educable and good. So all you need to do is have everybody out there given their best arguments and the truth will win out eventually. Like that's the environment. And of course, as a person who studied psychology, it's fucking bullshit. We we (laughs) know (laughs) this. Yes. Yes, it is. No, it doesn't work. That's not how human beings work. And we know that. But I don't know how else. I mean, obviously, obviously. You don't know know how else to function. Right. And, and, and you know, and, and there are, I mean, of course, we have centuries worth of, of dialogue about, you know, part of the reason we don't have a pure representative system, we have a constitutional representative system, because there are certain things that we need to have really in the groundwork that can't, that shouldn't be voted on, you don't get to vote on whether or, or not, you know, well, of course, even that's amendable. But the point is that, you know, the, our political system has tried to accommodate the fact that um that this notion that free speech and discourse you know will lead to the best solution like e- even even 2 200 300 years ago people knew it was a little bit of bullshit so they put these <laughs> other protections in yeah. to um to our government but at the same time like i um i i still want to try to find a way forward Where, because I really do believe the the solution to all this, at least in the long term, is is education, is mindset, is culture. It's like, Mm -hmm. gosh, if only we had a system that encouraged inquisitiveness and... Going against our innate instincts of, of confirmation bias, and instead taught people to always try to seek out different opposing views and understand them. Mm. And, 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 and that's something that like the idealistic part of me, this is where we should have like the music playing in the background. Like, like if we could just foster a culture where that <laughs> was seen that was ingrained yes. in people at an early age, then we could overcome these problems. And, you know, but the fact is that in the meantime, like we don't have those structures in place, we do have the biological biases that we have. Humans mm-hmm. aren't rational. Communication isn't something that is evenly distributed enough and resources aren't evenly distributed enough to make it so to even make say You can't, it is fucking insulting to go into um, poor and underprivileged communica- communities and to tell them, oh, hey, why can't you just go out and get all this information in order to weigh things? These people are fucking trying to survive. And because of the situation that our system has put them in, it is like this, this haughty kind of idealistic, like, oh, well, if we just put all the views out there, then it's a responsibility of them to decide. It's like, you can't go into communities that are fighting for their lives and insist exactly. that it's their yes. fault. For not having consumed enough media, that's absurd.
1: <laughs> yes, so,
0: uh, sorry, I'm getting all.
1: <laughs> no, it's great. I love it. It's fantastic. I love. Okay, just as a as an interviewer, I fucking love it when I accidentally hit on someone's soapbox. It's great. It makes the it makes the rest of the interview so so much easier. So yeah, I mean, basically, you know what you're saying kind of makes me think of two things actually. Um, the first is that, you know, it's like these having these principles and then finding out the hard truth that maybe these principles don't always in action work. And I think the internet is actually a really good example of that. I think from what I've read from the history books that I've read of the internet... Um, okay, let me get the door. The cats are going in and out. Um, from what I've read, the a lot of the early pioneers of the internet had kind of this utopian vision of the internet that if, if, if everyone just had equal access and we make everything free and then everything will be great and everything will be perfect. And if people have equal access to information, if everyone has this access to information, then, then that would just make everything great. And I actually remember listening to a podcast that was done several it was it was a long time ago i I was going through the archives of um of a podcast i liked and i was listening to these really old episodes and in one of the episodes they were talking to like one of those um kind of mid-2000s douchebag atheists that were very you know exactly the type i'm talking about
0: and It's a very specific thing. Mid-2000s, douchebag atheists know exactly what you mean.
1: You know exactly. For those of you who lived through that era of atheism, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You know, um, nothing against any of these things individually, but, you know, like the Birkenstock wearing with socks, long hair back in a ponytail, lots of Mountain Dew. You know that 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 guy, that dude, nothing against it i I love guys like that, you know they're they're really fun to hang out with um i'm I'm afraid that I might actually be that guy in some ways, but so
0: the, so there there is something wrong with wearing socks with burqa socks, but apart from that, I agree with
1: you, okay, um <laughs> <laughs> so um. But yeah, so they were interviewing one of those guys, like mid-2000s atheist, and he said, you know why atheism is going to be on the rise, and you know why humanity is going to be better? And he pulled out his phone, his his old iPhone or whatever. Um, so this this had to have been like late 2000s, early 2010s. Um, pulled out his, his iPhone, and he said, because every kid has this in their pocket. And everyone... Oh Oh my god. Yes. And and I just remember everyone has this in their pocket and everyone has the internet and access to all knowledge in their pocket and that is why that is why um you know atheism is going to be on the rise because suddenly people will realize how stupid religion is and how stupid god is because they can look it up and they can research and they can learn. And I just remember thinking hearing that and thinking how fucking naive that is access to information does not mean (laughs) that we can collate that we can that we can digest that knowledge well and what we actually find is that people to go become tribal freaks and start killing each other um when and then the other thing that i what you were saying brought to mind was um noam chomsky where Noam Chomsky has, he and I, he, so this is, I learned this about Noam Chomsky by way of Nathan Robinson in his book, Why You Should Be a Socialist. And, and so what Noam Chomsky talks about from what I gleaned from Nathan Robinson is that we can have a vision about the world that we want. We can ha- we can hold on to that utopia, and and he talks about how healthy it is to actually have a utopian vision. Um, it's important to to have a vision of the world where there is no capitalism, for example, or at least a drastically restricted capitalism, or what have you. Or so it's important to have that utopia, but then in the meantime, work to have common sense legislation and work to have those common sense steps along the way. It's like no, we can't live in a in a genderless moneyless society or whatever that some you know uh, sci-fi utopian might want to live in, but we can fight for legislation for equal rights for for trans people you know basic steps we, like we, that we,
0: we can live in that just not right now
1: exactly yeah it's <laughs> like we we can we can get there at some point but just not right now and so i find that yeah. really and by the way
0: by the way plug for the culture books by ian banks if you're a science fiction fan and haven't read these then they are describing exactly the what you were just describing exactly um, that's awesome
1: i have not yet read ian banks but he's been on my list for years and yeah i need to read him i did just finish uh peter watts um blind sight which you recommended and it was so fucking amazing and everyone should read it i've been i've been binging so many audiobooks right now i've been very proud of how many books i'm getting through Good.
0: No, that's exciting. Yeah, I've been. I've, I mean, I'm a big audiobook uh, uh, fan, and I've been um, going through. I even went through a little bit of my um, my uh, you know shelter in place disaster porn type science fiction. Like I read um, Lock In, which was which is who is that by? I would have to look it up. I don't know offhand, but Lockin is a novel about, a science fiction novel, about a disease that sweeps the world very rapidly. The first symptoms are flu-like, then that seems to get oh, better. Oh no! And it's hit by a second phase that looks like meningitis, and like a certain percentage of people recover from that, but the rest get locked in, meaning they're conscious, and they're aware, and they're awake, and they cannot move at all.
1: Oh Jesus. That, and so um, that does not so, yeah. sound like a book I should read right now.
0: Um but it's fascinating cuz it takes place so there's a, the the idea and the story is that there's a big push um to enable, you know going to spend whatever to develop technology to help these people mm-hmm. and so you get this great sort of transhumanist kind of like um, There are there was a creation of these uh, Sort of robot ish bodies that people can um, Control with their minds and the development of that technology only happened as rapidly as it did in order to help these people who needed it um and you know, et cetera, et cetera, That's all kinds awesome. of science fiction stuff. And then there's another. Let's see. There's a a book called Distress about a uh, disease. The again, science fiction um, science fiction uh, concept in a world where it is sort of radically transhumanist. Um, you know, there are there are, are is direct human mind interfaces. There's all kinds of consequences Mm. of radical body augmentation like um, like uh, the voluntary autism movement and um, people who Mm. decide that they want to both physically and neurologically change their gender. Which in this culture, actually in this book, um, In Distress, I believe, there's this great like little line in it where it does like Obviously, there are the seven accepted genders, but more recently, there's been a movement <laughs> to accept, you know, these other things. And so, it's, it's a great, it's a very fun book, and it's um, cool. and, and it's called it's called uh, Distress. And it's actually one of the things that's very cool about that book. By the way, the author is I think Greg Egon. um, Is that uh, that the in addition to there being the background of this sort of disease in this world that, that, for a period of time, simulates the symptoms of extreme anxiety and paranoia, this disease called distress. Mm. Um, but then, um, but then, like the main character actually confronts falling in love with a um, with a uh, asex uh, with an ace and non-gender person and the author really goes into exploring the sort of the psychological dynamics of that and so it's just a fantastic sort of uh That's cool. transhumanist kind of novel and um, but also on the list of like books about like weird viruses that take over the world so there's that one
1: <laughs> great i've been reading a not very fun book um the power worshippers by catherine stewart um, and it is fantastic it is about the rise of Christian nationalism and by hang the, on,
0: bro. We were just talking about fiction and you're I know us into I this. know.
1: I'm so sorry. But <sighs> we're talking about things that we're reading. I mean, we could talk about Clive Barker instead. I've I read a and Stephen King. I've read a bunch of Clive Barker and Stephen King through the pandemic. Um but anyway. No, but
0: Stuart, Stewart. I, I saw her talk in Cambridge before I moved down to here. Um I actually uh I actually um ran into her at a party uh, and she um, told me that her book was, she had a book come out and she was um, going to be doing these talking tours. And, um, and so I ended up uh, hearing about that. She was a very compelling speaker talking about the process of writing that book.
1: She's incredible. Because, she is, she yeah. is absolutely amazing. And I'm reading the book because I want to interview her. And so I'm going to try to, Talk her onto my show, but she's probably out of my league. There's a there are a lot of authors who I really want to get on my show. You know, like I sent Jaron Lanier an email. That man is not going to check his email. Um, but you know, I I I send a lot of emails to really you know amazing writers trying to get them on the show, and so far only a very few get back to me. But that's okay. That is the process of being a podcaster so
0: um so i can i've got uh catherine stewart's uh number still in my phone <laughs> and um can, and she and i actually hooked her up with uh with uh well like connected her with david pacman so she kind of owes me so if you want yeah. Can... oh my god
1: yes <laughs> okay let me let, give me some time to finish her book i'm i'm uh. yeah so let me give me some time to finish her book and yes Please. Also, there is a gender problem on my show. There are way too many guys, way too many, way too many dudes on my show, and I'm trying really hard to fix that. So, I need yeah. more—not white, not cis, not straight, and uh, not male—on the show. So I'm I'm trying I'm really, so really hard yeah. to get more women. And so there are actually a lot of interviews with men, who I'm just holding onto in the bank because I I want to put more in inter- put more diverse interviews out there before I release those shows with men. So Absolutely, I think that makes sense. Yeah, so I'm I would absolutely love that, but let me let me finish the book. And Finish the book? Yes. <laughs> so, okay. Well, we've been going for over 2 hours now. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yes. Still, well, it's been, I mean, it's it's like, it's been so much fun. It's, it's been great. It's
0: been a great conversation. And we didn't even like I towards the end there, especially when I was talking about these books, I was kind of getting myself all ramped up. I want to actually have a conversation with you. That's more specifically about transhumanism, because I would for love me. That. And this is something that I've said a few times in, I forget, we're in a few different fora. Um, that for me, transhumanism is like, is a very natural um aspect of my Satanism like for me Mm. the two are very closely related and um, and it's something that I I acknowledge like in fact I think I I have used it as an example when trying to tell people why um You know on the topic of if, if people have a particular thing that for them is an outgrowth or is compatible with their Satanism. So like, for example, if the first tenet for them implies um, veganism, and then they're all like, well, why isn't the Satanic Temple, you know, focusing on that. Hmm. And it, and I tell you, like, it's okay for you to have things that for you personally are very strongly tied to your Satanism, but that doesn't mean that it needs to be for everybody. And the example in my world is transhumanism. Like for me, like hmm. the third That's tenet, cool. it represents like, I want food, Full, uh, you know, full uh, morphological freedom—the ability to have whatever through whether it's through medical or cybernetic manipulation, change ourselves and augment our physical cells into whatever we want using technology. And for me, it just makes sense. But I'm not going to go and say every fucking Satanist has to also be a transhumanist. Like that would be weird, right? So-
1: <laughs> okay, so so speaking of transhumanism. My for are you familiar with the author Frank Horn?
0: The name doesn't ring a okay. bell. Maybe if you so, mentioned a, a
1: crazy, book. crazy right wing Christian nationalist conspiracy theorist, whose oh, whose work focuses on the menace of transhumanism. Oh God! And so that was my f- so when I was in college and when I was when I was a you know conservative libertarian douchebag that was my first exposure to transhumanism was frank horn and and you know how are it is okay? i'm no no i'm not i am <laughs> i am very okay i am very not okay because of my background <laughs> but, nah, we, that's fair. Well, but fair. you are not my therapist and we don't have to go there so <laughs> That was actually my first exposure to transhumanism. And because I I feel like if there's an unspoken theme of this show, it is my personal journey of revisiting all the things during my childhood that were taboo, that Mm -hmm. were evil. I feel like that is the weird, that is the meta narrative of this show is I was told one thing. You know, as an ex-evangelical, I was told one thing, and now I'm learning it, it. that thing was weird or crazy or just not true, and I'm revisiting that thing. So uh, transhumanism has been on my list for a really long time of, oh, that's something that I need to revisit on the show. Um, I do not. I no longer think that it is evil and of the devil. Um, or may, it is of the devil. Because, but in the good way, in the good way, because the devil's fucking awesome. Um, <laughs> but yes, I definitely want to have that conversation at some point. Cool. Yeah, yeah.
0: Let's yeah, let's let's do that. Let's do that the next time that we have a chat, and then now I can go and have dinner or something. Yes,
1: go have dinner, <laughs> and um, also, dear listeners, please let a, a lot of people have. Uh, reached out on Twitter saying that you really enjoy kind of these long, chill episodes. I've done two of them so far with Lucian, one with Rob Larson, one with Danielle. So um, if you've made it this far, con- A, congratulations, um, and B, please let me know if you actually enjoyed this. And if if you let me know, if you say that you know this was awesome, that you really enjoyed this, then I'll do more of them um and so with that do you have any final words
0: no that is it this has been a great pleasure i've enjoyed chit-chatting with you about this and that yeah uh, absolutely again soon
1: yes for sure let's do it again soon and i'm proud of you 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 did not confess to being a serial killer i'll I'll save that for the next episode very good through the entire recording you did not confess to to any crimes okay all right well Thank you so much for listening. I love you so much. And thank you so much for giving us some of your time this week. Um, And I do not take that lightly. It means the whole world to me. So thank you from the bottom of my heart for spending some time with us, for giving us a, a little bit of your week. And as always, the music is by... The Jelly Rocks and 17. You can find their music on iTunes or Spotify or wherever you listen to music. The artwork for the show is by Ramakrishna Das. The show is written, edited, and produced by me, Stephen Long, and it is a production of Rock Candy Media. And as always, Hail Satan. We'll see you next week. Hail Satan. All right. Peace out.